This week on today's show, we're going to discuss the state of college football, Ohio's pitching boom, Columbus's wild playoff ride in hockey, and of course, some Ohio beer. Welcome into another edition of 30 Rack of Sports, Ohio's favorite sports and beer podcast. I'm Greg. I'm the talent. I'm the maestro. I run the show around here. To my right, the opinionator, a guy we tried to get to opt out of this show until spring. <laughs> it's Zach. Hey. Zach, how are we feeling about that? Maybe. Just- oh. You know, that cuts t- deep. I wore my high state jersey. It's the only time I get to wear it this year. It looks like. Uh, I also want to know, Kevin Warren, you're a bastard man. Oh wow, yikes! Taking shots early in today's show. On our left, on the ones and twos, a guy who's tested positive for terrible sports takes and predictions. Oh. Our producer Josh. Josh, how's it going? Wolf. Wolf. It's going great, man. Hey, I. I- Last week, we recorded that great podcast on college football and all their schedules and everything, and I edited it on Sunday and then woke up Monday, and yeah, the whole thing pretty much went to shit. Um, oh yeah, that episode didn't age well yeah, at all. Yeah, that episode did not age well at all. Um, unfortunately, that's that's the life of the business, you know, but uh, this week, uh, happy to be back. It's a historic Sunday. Did you guys know... They'll be turning right at Daytona International Speedway today for the first time since the 50s. Wait, why? Uh, I guess they couldn't go to the Watkins Glen road yeah. course because of COVID. Uh-huh. So they added like the where they go like into the infield of Daytona. Oh, like the Formula mm. One-esque yeah. course? Yeah, so they're huh. doing that for the first time since I think 1958 or something. Wow. And then well. We're celebrating 100th anniversary of the Negro League, so I got the Cleveland Buckeyes uh, jersey love it. on today. That's baller. Yeah, so we'll bring that up later. And like we said, a whole lot more with... Uh, college football baseball hockey and beer so let's move into the important stuff let's drink some beer and it is now time for our beer of the week our beer of the week this week is a collaboration between ryan geist in cincinnati ohio and masthead in cleveland ohio it is called space vibes and it is a West Coast style Imperial IPA, which there you go, is a heck of a mouthful for no, a, a heck of a, a mouthful. lot of stuff there. How's it's this spacey? One? It's very spacey. <laughs> mm. No, I like it. Yeah, it's definitely a West Coast IPA. Very uh, oh yeah, very hoppy. Great, great West Coast hops. Um, this is a collaboration between Rheingeist and Masthead. Yeah, Masthead yeah. up in Masthead downtown Cleveland. Cleveland. Awesome can design. Really stands out on the shelves. Uh, you'll know it when you see it. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, a lot of space vibes going on. It has the Ryan Geist logo in the middle, which is, you know, a heck of a logo in general. The best logo. And then the one thing that I thought was really cool that Josh pointed out before the show is there's a spaceman surfing who's got an Ohio shirt on. Yeah. Yeah, that is so. cool. So really pays tribute to the Ohio collaboration there. I know this was a pretty highly anticipated collaboration. We had it in the... Uh, uh, Ohio Beer News a couple weeks ago we were talking mm-hmm. about it and it lives up to the hype. It definitely really lives up to the hype. West Coast style Imperial India Pale Ale. We yeah, that nice eight and a half percent too. Yeah. You get the yeah, you definitely get the the alcohol amount under it. You get the you get a lot of hops, but they're not like a like a sharp hops. It's mm-hmm. kind of overpowering. It's like a nice it settles in your of, mouth. Yeah, it's yeah. like a nice yeah. breath of of hops. So if you like some nice happy beers and 
You're up for eight and a half percent. This is, I I would say definitely a beer you should try. It's definitely a good yeah. like breakfast great, beer. Great way Ohio, to start the weekend. Breakfast beer. <laughs> this man over here. Great Ohio collaboration though. Well, thank you so much for this collaboration between Rheingeist and Masthead. As we are drinking Space Vibes on today's show. All right, now time for the OH headlines. Uh, The first one is possible crisis in Cincinnati. Saturday and Sunday contests with the Pirates have been postponed after a positive COVID test in the Reds organization Friday. Depending on the results of Sunday's tests, games may be made up as part of a doubleheader Monday. Do they have to subject everybody? If anybody's watched the Pirates, that's like... Everybody's just, thank God, we don't have to watch that terrible baseball. Well, if there's something else that you want to be back instead of Reds baseball, MLS is back again. Uh, The next phase of the MLS season uh, starts Thursday for the crew as they host Chicago and Friday for FCC, who hosts DC United. Uh, This kind of regional beginning phase uh, includes not one, but two Hell is Real derbies between the crew and FCC coming up. Oh, you're going down, sir. The NFL is starting to get moving as both Cleveland and Cincinnati are ramping up their training camps to start. Uh, college football in a little bit worse shape with only one Division One college planning to play their FBS school in Ohio playing right now. It would be the Cincinnati Bearcats. You uh, see, uh, uh. From Cincinnati to Columbus, Columbus got the win last week to move on to the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs after beating Toronto and are currently engaged in a dogfight with Tampa Bay down 2-1 to the Lightning in a crazy series that featured five overtimes in game one. And those are the OH headlines. And we move on to our first quick segment of the show, Hell yeah, hell nah, where we pose a question, you know, something big going on in the Ohio sports or beer world, and uh, we say whether or not we agree with it, hell yeah or hell nah. This week we're talking about college football, who has had a huge week in the news, um, as many conferences, including the uh, Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the Mountain West have canceled their fall seasons for now. Uh, Right now, currently playing, currently planning to play in the fall. The SEC, Big 12, ACC, American, Conference USA, Sunbelt, and then a handful of independents. Some conferences and schools are trying to look at the possibility for a spring schedule instead of a fall schedule. Could be a chance to have coronavirus down. Could also be an issue with how much time the players are supposed to get off. So we'll kick it over to you first, Zach. College football moving to spring. Hell yeah or hell nah? Hell nah. No, it's not going to work. That's, I mean, you know, we're going to... Big Ten canceled the season claiming player safety. So you're going to go ahead and turn around and try to start a season in January? It's not going to be any different, first of all, in my opinion, with the virus. It's not. Let's just get that out of the way. And so now you're going to ask players to play two seasons? That's reckless. That's irresponsible. You know, that's... It's everything you hear from every coach. How's that going to work? How's that going to look? You're not going to have the stars playing. And from an Ohio State perspective... They're not going to have a national championship. You go to Ohio State to play for national championships. It's a hollow season, in my opinion. No, it's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen. All right, Josh, what about you? Hell no. Nah. And, and I'm for that same reason, Zach, because I feel like the movement of you don't want too many games coming on, 
you, you don't want players playing too many games, especially student athletes. And then you go from that to let's play two seasons in one right. year. And especially like, I mean, that that idea has been floated around and has in some states that's what they're doing for high school ball. Mm-hmm. And and at both those levels, it's just like it complicates. It has such a domino effect on the interscholastic athletic landscape. Right. It's like, what about kids who also play baseball or basketball at the high school level for college athletes? What about like, what about seniors like with Ohio State? Now you're looking at Justin Fields trying to maybe transfer somewhere. Like, it just has such a domino effect on the entire landscape. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, the guys like Justin Fields from pretty NCAA, they're not going to get any kind of it's. They're not going to be able to transfer. Those guys are just set in stone. I get some of those guys will want to play. I think the NCAA came out and said, which I agree with, it was my whole point and why everybody should have come together as a Power Five and made an agreement together. But they said, you know, they're willing to give waivers to anybody who wants to come back next year. And I'm assuming it won't count against their scholarship cap, which is great. But you can't do that. Like, you can't just have the Big Ten and Pac-12 get that. Yeah. And then, you know, like they said, if you play this fall, you're not going to get that. I, like I, Alabama and those schools understand. They'd be like, whoa. Wait a minute. You know what I mean? Right. You can't have one or the other. So it's. Yeah, I think one of the big issues coming in here, and I, I mean, I'll bring it up with my answer, but I really feel like everybody kind of needs to be. I mean, yeah, if there's a couple of teams like UConn that don't want to do anything, who cares? But like for the most part, I think the main conferences all need to kind of be aligned here because I think exactly. it's, it's hollow for both people. And. Maybe this is just me talking out my ass, which has never happened on the show before. <laughs> what? But I'm actually going hell yeah on a spring season. I think there are ways to do it. The only issue is maybe the next season has to start later. Because the question that you have is if you limit a season and you maybe make it shorter, maybe conference only, you start the next season a little bit later. You know, if kids are getting four months off instead of six months off, we don't really know about how that affects them because you've never really you know, it's never really been an issue so far. So the question is getting them enough rest time and then also, you know, being able to give them the season that they want. Once again, this is contingent on the the NCAA figuring something out, which we've shown that they're completely Well, they've already said they they made decisions on the other sports. They just said, which I get the right, they don't have any power over Division I FBS football. Yeah. That's all handled outside. And, you know, now we're getting back into the hypocrisy of where you have athletic directors from the Big Ten who they went ahead and said, we're going to go ahead with it. Right. But then you voted that your schools can't play. Well, and I guess to both your points, and I apologize, I can't remember who it was. I want to say it was someone with Nebraska, but they actually put out a proposal for the Big Ten on how to do spring ball. And there were there were two different plans for it. Yeah, it was uh, Ryan Day at Ohio State has one starting in January, and then it was... Um, Oh shoot! Who was? Yeah, there was. You I, want to, I can't remember. I don't remember. It was another one that they, they wanted to start in March. Or the only which the, was absurd. and then in fall they wanted to start in like beginning of October, late right. September, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I know. Uh, right now, the one article that I did see on it was ESPN was kind of talking about it, and the once again, all these would be contingent on all teams, you know, postponing to the spring, and. Uh, the potential of the next season starting later in possibly October or something. But there's one that's keeping the original schedule and going from the end of January to May. And I think May's a little bit too late. Oh, but one yeah. thing is do conference only schedules. So you cut down the games, you know, by about four and then maybe finish a month earlier. Or you just do a really short, like 
interdivisional season and you put like a 16-team tournament or something in there. The only problem is, once again, it's going to be a hollow season, but if you want football, then... I, I don't want it that. It I want a championship. That's why you play to win the game. There's There needs to be a legitimate national championship. Well, then there'd be a 16-team tournament at the end. But, you know, the SEC, if the SEC, ACC, and them go through with it, then it's hollow, just like their season's hollow. Yeah. If you're only going to have two school, two conferences, you That's know. That's yeah. thing. It just gets, there's, there's. It's hollow if not everybody's on the same right. page. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's creates such a domino effect, like I said. And then, then, yeah, you get into the, well, does the spring champion play the fall champion? Or who is the national champion? Do you right. Does the AP wait to announce? I then, think, I mean, sorry not to be cut you off. I mean, I agree on one thing. That in the spring football, assuming SEC, ACC go through it, that it would help Ohio State is the fact that Justin Fields will not play in the spring. So that's going to allow them to have their three freshman quarterbacks yeah, get an opportunity to gain experience. And yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying I wouldn't be excited. Like we were talking about the MAC and their opportunity to play in the spring. And yes, it would be exciting. But like the MAC, like we said, like ESPN was already reaching out to them. And it's just like I hate that the whole thing is individually by each conference fueled by money. Oh yeah, and that they can't come together and make one concerted effort. No, I yeah, because you know the one thing is, if it's only an SEC schedule. Like it's just not going to be the same anywhere during the season. You know the the some of the charm of the season is like you know maybe Ohio State's at five or something, right? And you look at the t- other top four teams playing, you know. You're rooting for, you know, an Oklahoma to lose or exactly. uh, Auburn to lose or, you know, whoever happens to. Well, to everybody pays more attention to other conferences. Yeah. And, and to flip what you just said, Greg, I know the Athletic came out with like an updated rankings now of the teams that are going to play this fall. And like, it's cool. Bearcats are up to like number 11 in those rankings. I mean, that is but, cool. But it's not, it's not real. Yeah, it's and not it's, real. It's, yeah. And. Yeah, you just want to have a genuine season. You want everybody to stay safe. You want football. You want the economy for these college towns where it's that football is what make it and everything. But at the same time, like this domino effect that it's going to have, Dan Lebatard had a great segment on this this week where he just talked about, like you guys, I think, Greg, you said the charm of it all. Mm-hmm. Like we're not going to be able to unsee this. Like the charm is being taken out of this whole thing right now. The charm of college football is going away. And if you're not going to come together and work as a sport, the charm is going to be gone, and all we're going to see is the ugliness of the sport. And I think that's what's at stake. Yeah, here. and that's what I mean. That's what you're really seeing is the ugliness of the sport. And uh, you know, as you mentioned, it's cool to see Cincinnati at 11. But the problem is with the way the season is constructed right now. You know, if the SEC, Big 12, and ACC are all playing still, Bearcats still don't have a shot to right, right. to make it into the uh, you know even if they go 12 and 0 to make it into the college football playoff just because of you know, there'll be an SEC team with one or zero and then another one with, well, one loss. And, you know, UC is going to get left out. UC, by the way, being the only Ohio college football team <laughs> That's right. in Division One, so far moving forward on this season. Watch Columbus but. burn because I'm telling you that. Uh, one last thing. I this is, this is it. This has been proven, whether it's just the Power Five or the 10, you know, totality of the FBS conferences. They need to get together. And they need to create, you know, hire a czar or whatever you want to call it, and a little bit of a committee who oversees everybody. Because yeah. obviously, it's yeah, it's not working. It's yeah, it's getting so broken up, and yeah. Well, let us know at our social media at Thirty Rack of Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hell yeah or hell nah? Do you think spring football is a good idea? Do you think it'll happen? 
Do you think all the conferences will come together? Probably not, but we're excited to see whether or not there'll be any kind of football this fall. We're talking baseball. We're talking Ohio baseball and the amazing pitching that has been going on in the state of Ohio as far as pitching has gone in the MLB. Two of the top staffs in Major League Baseball are in Ohio. So the question goes out, who is Ohio's ace? Who is the best pitcher in Ohio? So we're going to kick it over to you first, Josh. Who do you unbiasedly think is the best pitcher in Ohio? You know, it's tough. Um, nah, is it? It is. I mean, you look at you. I mean, you got to look at the landscape of all the great pitchers before we get to the best. You have to look at all the great pitching that's going on in Ohio right now on both the Indians and the Reds. Um, after yesterday or this past weekend's performance, I think I have to give the edge to Shane Bieber um, just because he has, as far as command goes, he has the best command on the mound right now. I will say that Trevor Bauer is <sighs> right there. Trevor Bauer, out of all of them, gives up the less hits, uh, less home runs, less uh, runs overall, uh, less walks. I thought we were going to get in a little bit of an argument here, but... I mean, I'll get Josh, into, Josh, I'll get Josh into cleared up his mind a little bit. I'll get into uh, an argument with you about it. The, bi- the, uh, the bias from Josh is gone, at least for this moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely Shane Bieber. Um, tied with Sonny Gray, the red Sonny Gray, and Garrett Cole, uh, 4-0, which I admit is an overrated pitching stat. Not a huge fan of that. Um, but then ERA, uh, the Indians have Shane Bieber at 4 and Zach Plesic at 3 in ERA, but um, no reds in the top five. Um and then strikeouts, yeah, it's it's a margin. Uh, Shane Bieber at 54, Sonny Gray at 45, and then uh, my favorite stat, quality starts. Shane Bieber at five, and number one in the league. So, yeah, I mean, Shane Bieber, I don't know if anybody watched the uh, Tigers game yesterday. Just good luck. Good luck hitting him. That curveball is nasty. The fastball, he likes to pump that in there. You know, he gets up to 95. Um, yeah, best pitcher in baseball. Best pitcher in baseball. No doubt. Oh, yeah, Greg, what do you got? No, I'm, I'm unfortunately for the show's spot, I'm probably going to go Bieber. I know Bieber also has a couple more starts than Bauer because of uh, yeah the interesting time going on with the Reds. Reds right now, uh, games on Saturday and Sunday canceled uh, or postponed, I'm sorry, after a positive test in the Reds organization Friday, uh, depending on the outcome of some of the tests as we're recording today on Sunday there could potentially be a doubleheader played on Monday but uh you know Bauer's still number eight in the league as far as strikeouts and he's only pitched three games instead of you know some more like the other guys so but I know anything about Bieber's kind of that's not going to keep up yeah Bauer's kind of been on a different level but I will say the one thing that really has impressed me going and looking at it is Sonny Gray because Sonny Gray had has given up zero or one earned run in four of his five starts, and he has a 2.05 ERA. And he also pitches in Cincinnati for half his games. So that's another thing, you know, when you're pitching at some of those small ballparks, to have a whip under one and an ERA just over two and a half, I think Sonny Gray and Bieber are the two best pitchers in Ohio and probably two top five pitchers in the league right now considering how they're dealing how they're getting guys out and just how you know they're carrying their teams while both teams have had some 
Well, uh, you know, peaks and valleys as far as offensive production is going. Yeah, I mean, we can we can talk. Let let's not bring hitting into this conversation like it's like the Cy Young or MVP or anything like that. But but Sonny Gray, yeah, his forty five strikeouts are the most by a Reds pitcher through five appearances. I think it is the most uh, the longest consecutive streak in baseball uh, right now. Uh, he had that one bad outing two outings ago, and he does lead the league in wild pitches. Um, I think just from that game where he had four wild pitches. Good God. Um, so sometimes, sometimes, and when I say sometimes, in that moment, Sonny Gray showed signs of when he was in New York and gets in a little bit of trouble, gets out of his rhythm a little bit, and really loses com- uh, command. Um same with you could say the same for Luis Castillo right now. Right. I, I don't think we should be talking Luis Castillo in this conversation because of his command issues and because of his walks. Walks, you could say the same for Sonny Gray. He's got nine walks, the most out of the three pitchers we're discussing right now. Um, that's why I like Bieber as the edge. He only has five walks on the season, the lowest ERA out of these guys. His command and confidence. I think gives him the edge over these other two guys right now. Yeah, and a couple names that uh, I think are worth <clears throat> being brought up, and I'd love to hear your opinions <laughs> on some of it going on right now. One of the other pitchers that I had some stats on, who actually has a better ERA and WHIP, although he's only pitched three times, and who knows when he'll make yeah. his next start, is Zach Plesac, who had who has in 21 innings pitched, 24 strikeouts, and three earned runs, and his two starts versus the White Sox, he has 14 innings pitched. Eight hits, no earned runs, and a walk. But unfortunately, Plesac and one of the other top pitchers for the Indians, Mike Clevenger, allegedly went out in Chicago last weekend while the tribe was there. They were put on the restricted list. Um, Plesac was right away and had to drive back. Clevenger wasn't found out that he was out until the team got back. Liar. Put on the restricted list, and then they actually ended up taking a rental car up to Detroit to try to apologize to the team and ask if they could come back. And they were pulled off the restricted <laughs> list, but they were sent to summer camp out that in uh, Lake That is the County. greatest thing. Liar. That... Liar. You turned her against me. Because I was actually going to make a hot take. I was going to even say, I'll give Sonny Gray's the third best pitcher in Ohio. I think Zach Plesak <laughs> is ahead of them. But uh, I'm not out of my mind. Stats say otherwise, S- dude. Stats, buddy. Numbers never lie. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, you know, I, I like the way the Indians handled this. But you want to talk about getting rattled under pressure, having to go out because you don't have the discipline to stay in your room while you're in Chicago? Oh, I don't. know. the Indians are uh, – there's a reason they're a class act organization, and they've literally made the point right now that they are willing to tank their season and make a point that this is not okay. I had never seen Francona that upset. You could tell he was visibly upset. Um, you know, they even asked him at one point, you know, about it, obviously when he came back from his own issues um, – and I thought it was interesting when he said, well, they're both at different levels of uh, taking responsibility, which to me is, tells you all you need to know. You know. Tito's not a guy who throws people under the bus, but obviously he doesn't believe that you know, they were remorseful well, for you their don't, decisions. You don't want to throw guys under the bus because this could have larger ramifications. I mean, the Indians could see some, I won't call it significant turnover, but the Indians could definitely see, see some turnover in the roster next year. Mm. Uh Definitely, you can't you can't have be having guys that are supposed to be leaders on these teams just going out there and blatantly right. Well, then you had the rules. really Clevenger. I thought the Clevenger thing was worse. Obviously, he was out. He I don't know. I don't get it. He snuck back in. I don't know. But Plesac got caught. Was sent home, uh, and then Clevenger took 
spent the whole next day with the team in Chicago, flew home with them, and then it came out that you know they found out he was there. So to me, that was worse. He lied. Worse. He kind of threw Plesic under the bus because he was asked about. Yeah. Asked about. He said, "Oh, you can't be doing that." And well, I'm like, oh. And here's what he could have done. I mean, he could have met Plesac like at the window and like let down his golden locks and <laughs> lifted him up through the window, and they could have snuck back in together. Right. I mean, That's right. Happened, I don't right? know. Like, I mean, he kind of threw Plesic. Clevenger. You know, he threw Zach under the bus, and then you know, basically, was pretty defiant about the whole thing, which was very showed very little imma- you know, maturity yeah. level. Um, and Plesic was honestly kind of. On like he made a small statement. Everybody was kind of blaming and bashing Clevenger, and then Plesic decides all of a sudden to just go off on the media on some rambling video well, so he posted on, on social hold media. On. I thought they were in on this like together, but then yeah, they kind of had they kind of like threw each other under the bus almost. Like, did they not go out together? Where they they said, did no, they were out together. Yeah, They're they friends. Did. But that's yeah. what that's I thought. It. You got to put a one first, man. Yeah, I mean, apparently. <laughs> and you know, uh, Pluko really went off on him and the media. Yeah. Uh, Lindor took a little more attack, but was pretty straightforward with it. And I mean, it's 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 a serious thing when you have a uh, Carlos Carrasco who already had a pre-existing heart issue, uh, was diagnosed with leukemia last year, and then you have Francona, who has all these health issues. Yeah, you've got two of your yeah. big guys right there, your skipper and Carrasco, who I feel like that was fairly well documented. No, yeah, they, they know, they're aware. Guys, yeah, Guys right there. And, and these are both guys who were very out in front before the season started. Oh, we have a whole process. Everybody's all in on it. No one's going to you know go out. And you know, I'll chalk it up to their young but I didn't like the way they didn't just own it up. You know, they've still been kind of acting immature about the whole thing. Just own it. Yeah. You screwed up. Yeah. Apologize. Made a bad decision. Yeah. And it's it'll okay. be interesting. You know, the Indians are certainly a team that has shown they can develop pitchers. So if a pitcher's going to be a big enough of an issue for them. Oh, know, yeah. They don't care. I mean, the they Indians, can... they don't put up with BS by anybody. Yeah. So. so, And you know who else doesn't put up with BS? Us. Unless you... Share some to our social media <laughs> accounts at 30 Rack of Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let us know who you think Ohio's ace is, and let us know wh- what do you think the Indians should do with Clevenger and Plesek. Do you think they should have just kept them on the restricted list, send them to Lake County, get them out of here, or just give them a couple weeks to learn and let them come back? I'll tell you what, guys. I think we can all agree on one thing. There will be a Cy Young winner in Ohio this year. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I agree. For sure. And now, Zach's reciting of the con. Space vibes. East and West Coast collide, launching Ohio into the ether like a cosmic pinball. Amidst the darkness of space, a lone rider appears, carving through the cosmic debris toward alternate realities in which IPAs are anything they want to be. The West Coast Imperial IPA vibe check. Far out. Far out, man. Far, Far out. out. In the ether. In the ether, bro. But you got to get a collab, get Ohio all the way out there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great collaboration. And I like what it says at the end there that IPAs are anything they want to be because I feel like Ryan Geist and uh, Masthead got together on this and were like, let's just make an awesome IPA. I mean, it's oh, a yeah. West Coast, great West Coast hops, an Imperial IPA, 8.5%. I mean, this is just... This is an IPA. This is what IPAs should be. Yeah, and you oh, look yeah. at a lot of the times, you know, people are just trying to do their regular IPAs. Some people try to go a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. ridiculous with their IPAs, but sometimes it's cool to try some, especially if you have a collaboration. You know, um, Ryan Geist, of course, has a very good IPA. Uh, Masshead has 
quite a few good beers too. So yeah. being able to get all that knowledge together, you know, you look when you see certain brewmasters and just the knowledge that they have, when you can put two together and put those minds together, then you can get a really solid on style, like great tasting Imperial IPA. And I think that's what they did oh, here. And I think why we drink so many IPAs, I was like, that, you know, pointing out here, they, you can make them whatever you want them. We've had some very interesting yeah. IPAs. It's a very uh, malleable type well, of beer. I th- yeah. I think we've, for all the different IPAs we had, I mean, we're coming from our last IPA, which was a vegan pineapple milkshake mm. IPA, to this, a real on point, exactly you know, heavy IPA like this. And it's just, it goes to show, like you were saying, Greg, the different minds. You have the, the giants of Cincinnati with one of the best breweries in downtown Cleveland mm-hmm. getting together to just make a great Ohio IPA here. It's awesome. And that's what we're all for here. I mean, on 30 Rack, drinking Ohio beer. We want the best, you know, Ohio has to offer. And when collabs come together like this, you get some of the best beers that Ohio has to offer. All right, what's brewing Ohio? Guys, I've got three things this week. Whoa. We're talking the three B's of what's brewing in Ohio. Three brewing in Ohio. Three B's of brewing. Enough. Terrible head, by the way. I just poured my second one, and that's oh, about man. that's about like six inches. A little, little foam with your yeah. beer, there, buddy. Uh, our first B, black is beautiful. Um, I'm sure some of you, uh, especially those attuned to the craft beer scene in Ohio, have seen the black is beautiful beers. It's a uh, variation of a stout, and it is this uh, this program that was created by Weathered Souls Brewing in San Antonio, Texas, uh, to raise awareness for uh, racial and social justice and then a bunch of breweries across the nation have picked this up and brewed their own variation of this stout called black is beautiful it's all got the same label it's kind of like a pixelated uh you know brown black colors on the label and everything to showcase the different variations of black and brown being beautiful in these stouts. Um, I know a lot of Ohio breweries have taken the oatmeal stout variation of it. Oh, cool. um, you can find it at places like Jackie O's, Streetside, Hoofhearted, Rheingeist has one, Three Floyds has one, Elmatic has one, Land Grant, Seventh Sun, Four Fires up in Toledo. There are plenty, I think there's over 20 breweries in Ohio participating in this so um, there's no matter where you are in ohio there seems to be yeah, one pretty close you so. can find this black if you're, if you're in the stout stout. stuff or, in, or you know just want to support and drink some beer like seems like a great way to do it oh yep. yeah uh our second b brew kettle brew Yo, kettle. i love brew kettle brew kettle is a great brewery uh they're from up in middlesburg heights um, white raja and they have opened a fourth location whoa a fourth location uh, that's in Mentor. Uh, they've oh, also got locations in Hudson, Hudson, Amherst, and Strongsville. Oh, I love the Strongsville. So, the restaurant there too, really. Yeah, cool. yeah, they got a great, uh, great pub up there as well. So if you're up in that area, up in the uh, northeast corner, the Brew Kettle, check out that new location in Mentor. Uh, our third B. Whoa. You guys know Braxton Brewery. I love Braxton. Remember, I tried to bring some because yeah, I forgot yeah, about the Ohio. Zach, Zach brought some Braxton Brewery for the show once, and we were like, "Dude, this isn't Ohio beer. They're they're just across they're the river." Just across yeah, I know. The river. I just, yeah, I just love Braxton beer. so much. I'm yeah. gonna slip one in. <laughs> so they are moving in 
to Cincinnati. They're coming across the river and yeah. they are putting a place in uh, just outside of Over the Rhine, across from the Hard Rock Casino down here in Cincinnati. Um, and now are they straight moving or is there just opening another no, location? So they'll op- open a new location. Okay. It'll be their fourth location. They've got their other locations on the other mm-hmm. side of the river down here. They'll be coming to Ohio, which means we will be able to have Braxton Brewery whoop, whoop. on the show sometime. Excited. So those are your three B's. In Brax and uh, three B's in uh, what's brewing Ohio this week. As always, you can go to ohiocraftbeer.org for more brewing news in Ohio. You can follow them at Ohio Craft Beer on social media. When we come back in two weeks, I'll have a great story on uh, this cool voting uh, election. Yeah, this, I, I, what do I want to call this? The I, election? Uh, well, yeah, we've got the election coming up. There's a cool beer initiative going <laughs> oh, on. Okay. With, uh, with votes this year uh, huh. that some oh, guys cool. are getting behind. So we'll talk about that when we come back to what's brewing in Ohio on our next episode. This week's six pack of stats pays tribute to uh, the g- game one of uh, the first round of the Stanley cup playoffs between Columbus and Tampa that went about six and a half hours to finish this game and uh, five overtimes. So our first stat is four Tuesday's four. five OT game between Columbus and Tampa was the fourth longest game in NHL playoff history, lasting just over 150 minutes. 176. 176 minutes is the longest game in NHL history. It was in 1936 and was a 1-0 win by the Red Wings over the Montreal uh, Maroons. So it was four minutes short of being three entire games back to back to back. What in a this boring game. Sixth overtime rumble. For one score. For yeah. one score. What a boring game. Boy. 85. 85 is the number of saves Columbus goaltender Jonas Corposalo made, which is an NHL playoff record, as he was able to stop 85 of 88 shots and beat the old record by an astonishing 12 saves. Unreal. And it's hard, lost. though, that you lost. That, that's the hard That'd part, be so right? crushing. Uh, so uh, shots on goals and saves weren't being tracked till 55, 56. But since then, like I said, the old record was 73, and I believe... Corposalo had that in the fourth overtime and then ended up just pushing through. And he had an unbelievable game and made some big saves. You know, Toronto didn't score from, you know, early in the third period till the fifth overtime. So you're looking at all that time. There were definitely some times both, that the Blue Jackets were on their back feet. Both so that goalkeepers cool. in that game were insane. Was the, uh, was the 73, is that, is that a regulation? No, that's, that's, that's also overtime. Yeah, playoff. It was uh, New York Islanders uh, Kelly Hrudy. How many overtimes was that? Or what was the totality of that? I think that was a four overtime. Yeah, three or four. Three or four. Did they win? Yeah. Was he the winner? I, that, think, uh, I, I think so. Okay. Yeah. I think so. I was just curious. Yeah. The we're, next, get, we're getting deep there. We're getting yeah. deep there. <laughs> 65. Another playoff record for the Columbus Blue Jackets was by defenseman Seth Jones, who was on the ice for 65 minutes and eight seconds, breaking the record of Hall of Famer Sergei Zubev, who logged 64 minutes back in 2003 for another five-overtime game. What's in, the, uh, like in a normal regulation game, how long is So you think about it, looking? most teams have, I think, three defensive lines, three to four. So you're looking at, you know, your best line's going to be out there a little bit more. So you're looking at maybe 20, 
plus minutes. I would say you know, 20 eight, to 25. 18 to 22 yeah. minutes, depending on yeah. the line. I mean, just to put it further in perspectives, there were only two players in that game that had over an hour's worth of ice time, and that was Seth Jones and teammate Zach Wierenski. Yeah, that, I mean, the Jackets' top defensive Seth line. Seth Jones said yeah. he felt, fi- felt fine after <laughs> Sure, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you could see him. He was working his butt off, and it was very impressive to see, you know, he's probably played about two and a half games full of his actual ice time. And you got to realize, you know, ice time bumps up a little bit in the playoffs because, right. you know, every everything's a bit, you know, tighter just because a goal can mean so much more in the playoffs. So he was out there for a really long time, but cool to see, you know, the Jackets getting two playoff records just in one game. The next one I have is seven. So, so far in the NHL playoff, there have been 15 total overtime periods through Friday. Columbus has been involved in seven of the 15 overtime periods. Lord of mercy. So there have only been two (laughs) multiple overtime games. And the Jackets were involved in one of them. And then uh, three of the nine overtime games and seven of the 15 overtime periods. Folks, they've had what? two days off in the past two weeks or something like that no they're playing i mean they're pretty much playing every other day right now i, I mean still no. so it's not like travel is, days or anything right. that is painful i mean give it up to the blue jackets man. yeah they i mean and you know they got the they took the loss on saturday night but to see them bounce back after a crushing you know five overtime loss yeah right and get the win on thursday and then you know keep it close on saturday they can just get an extra couple of days off. I'm I'm really excited to see what this team can do. Yeah, up, that's you know, against that's Tampa. great if I've ever seen it. When do they play the next? Uh... They play. Uh, so they'll play Monday. Mm-hmm. Probably possibly while you're listening to the show, they play Monday at three in the afternoon. So if you're looking for you know something to throw on the TV while you're working on Monday, Jackets Lightning three o'clock. You can catch it while you after you get home from work. Yeah. While you're going to bed, when you wake up the next morning, it might still be on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if, they, if they keep doing this five overtime stuff, that's certainly true. Nine. So in game two of the 1986 Stanley Cup Finals, Brian Scrudlin scored just nine seconds into overtime, which was the fastest overtime playoff goal in NHL history. Wow. To put that in perspective, um, the Columbus game had 603 times more OT than the nine-second overtime. When you're playing, right. you know, almost two entire games versus nine seconds. That nine seconds got to be killer. Like, you're just, you just get skated out there for the overtime period. You're jacked, and then, boop, yeah. <laughs> game. <laughs> I just six and a half hours. I mean, the Reds game was in the bottom of the seventh inning when the three o'clock hockey game ended. <laughs> yeah, and the... There was supposed to be a game, not like even the late game, not like the 10.30 game. There was supposed to be like an 8 o'clock game. But that game went so late that they ended up having to postpone the second game since yeah. they're in the bubble in uh, Toronto it was, well, to 11 a.m. the next morning. Well, Ooh. what's funny is because that was the Canes and the Bruins, yeah. and they got pushed back because of so many overtimes. And then they ended up playing the next day and needed two overtimes. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. It was insane. So, yeah, if they would have kept that. Extra hockey for everybody. Yeah, if, that, if they would have kept that, then that game wouldn't have ended until about 4 in the morning. So, uh, But, man, just a ridiculous game. Insane. A great series. And if you haven't been checking out the NHL during this, uh, you know, playoff bubble scenario, it's certainly worth a look because there have been a lot of really good games, a lot of, you really know, real interesting games. teams, interesting stories, and some really fun hockey. All right, guys, let's get into our, uh, our second big conversation of the day. Uh, we're going to get kind of meta here. Whoa. Just, 
talk about the uh, the podcast industry. And um, hey, we're in that. Yeah, so we, we are in that. Uh, and I think we, uh, we've brought it up occasionally over the past few weeks, and it's definitely been out in the news this week, kind of the elephant in the room. Uh, Barstool Sports, obviously a leader in this industry. And I want to preface this with, like, I love Barstool Sports. I listen, pardon my take, and all those guys. And, you know, uh, there's plenty of people at Barstool Sports that put out some great content. Yeah. However, there's some there's some good and some bad. I'll say that. Some, I think there's way more. There's good some than good and some bad, and we have to question Barstool Sports being a leader in this industry and what they're doing to progress the podcast industry. But then, is that outweighing the bad that they're doing to the podcast industry? Yeah, negative kind of non-news source that they are. Yeah. So I guess we've got a few things to discuss. Uh, three things mainly being. We've had that whole Call Her Daddy podcast in the war between Dave Portnoy and Barstool Sports and uh, Peter Nelson from HBO Sports. And then we've got Deion Sanders, prime time, who signed on to Barstool Piece Sports this week. And then After we've got, an interesting week for him. And then yeah. we've got Barstool Sports leader Dave Portnoy, who just kind of randomly went to the White House and interviewed President Trump out of nowhere. A lot of with some all softball over the, questions just a few months before. Uh, just bef- yeah, just before an election, we've got a lot to unfold here about what good and what bad Barstool is doing. What do you guys? What are you guys' initial thoughts? And then I'll kind of break into some things. Um, you know, my initial thought, as you know, we kind of we're workshopping this segment and what to do. Uh, you know, as I said earlier, you know, I listen to some Barstool stuff. Uh, I like some of what they're doing but i think right now they're trying to get into all these different areas like i said in the last little bit they've been doing more political stuff which is interesting uh you know stock market stuff more lifestyle stuff all this different kind of stuff and then some of the content is shifting the way that the company's kind of going i I don't feel like they're as inclusive as a company as they maybe want to be uh you know definitely the interview with president trump is something that could bring people apart uh you know there were also some um you know uh old clips and some things that kind of happened there was uh some old you know sort of racist videos that came out about sexist too sexist and racist videos that came out you know about some of the guys at the top like portnoy and uh you know uh kfc kevin clancy and there was also a round table for some of the african-american you know members of barstool that had a unfortunate acronym for the name of their show and you know that lost one of my favorite content creators at barstool sports who did one of the basketball podcasts that i really liked so i think right now i'm kind of in this tough area where i feel like i like a whole lot of their content and i like a number of people that work there but what the stool what the stool logo with the stars is kind of representing is turning into a very non-inclusive emblem yeah zach oh okay uh let me preface i've always disliked barstool sport i was before all this other stuff came out at least respected what they did i always felt their content though funny wasn't really sports driven uh, and i get they've always been moving away from you know become like greg said more of a lifestyle content uh honestly i just think now where it is it's literally a dave portnoy vanity project of hate is basically what it is um and it's obviously affected a lot of the people who work there. And I don't not trying to throw everybody under the bus there. I know some of them 
are against and you know i've spoken out obviously against the racist and some of the sexist things that have gone down there uh the trep interview and then him giving financial advice which uh someone i read the wall street Journal. i'm big into the finance world uh you know and there's been articles that have come out you know a lot of these uh financial people are freaking out about what he's doing and people are following these crazy you know um stock trades and stuff that he's doing and people are trying to do that with you know no evidence i mean it's just the idea of he's just it's political now it's this financial thing now it's kind of sports is it yeah. though anymore i don't know it's just a vanity and project it kind of depends on that stuff and then you've also seen you know it has turned into a vanity project because you look at you know really the only person that has even sort of spoken out is uh you know, Dan Katz, Barstool Big Cat, because he's one of he's one of the people that actually has some decent stock in the company. Right. right he's been yeah. out since the beginning. But there have been a number of, you know, big to small personalities. I guess it kinda depends. You know, Barstool is kind of one of those choose your own adventures. If you like golf, you know, you do this. If you like right. you know, if you like lifestyle stuff, you do this. If you like, you know, baseball or basketball or whatever. But there have been certain things, you know, there was a um uh decently well-known Twitch streamer that, you know, went to uh, HBCU, uh, I believe. He went to Morgan State. So mm. he, you know, was with Barstool for a little while. Some of the Portnoy stuff came out. Some of the apologies came out. He slammed it, and then he just got left, and then, like, nobody ever talked about him and just kind of called him the other guy. You know, when <laughs> uh, Tyler Withers, uh, the one guy I was talking about, one of my favorite content creators at Barstool, left, it was just kind of a... Oh, goodbye, buddy. Like, nice, like, was really nice yeah. to work with you. Bye. And then just, like, left him like he never existed. And it's one of those things where it's just like, I don't know if this guy trying to make it a vanity project is scaring people or doing something, but Whoa, it, it seems like at a point this is going to reach ahead. And if uh, Portnoy starts to lose a lot of, you know, uh, clout or like people start to dislike him. I don't exactly think he's a guy that's going to step back. No, I so mean, they, that has could, You know, up. there's a potential that he could take back a lot of the good work that he's done They've building, building Barstool into kind of an empire. become yeah. everybody's bad idea of a fraternity that produces content. Yeah. It's literally what it's a bunch of dude bros who haven't grown up, who, you know, act like assholes and put women down and minorities down. And, like, it's funny. It's under the guise that it's not funny, though. Look at the world we live in now. Sports is, you know, look at most sports, the big ones, predominantly minority. And then you're starting to see a lot of women come into doing broadcasting, like the Pirates. Was it the Pirates who had the first uh, uh, female play-by-play in Major League uh, the other night? I think it was think the Pirates, so. uh, which, awesome. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, they're not, they don't really fit into where the sports world's going, in my opinion. And, well, and you segue perfectly into kind of the first big issue that barstool had this year which was with the call her daddy podcast which is hosted by two girls from new york city that basically talk about dating in their 20s in i think one of them has self-described it as like a women's locker room talk oh. like it's raunchy and that's that's fine and everything yeah. um like i'm tired of hearing like this Ben Shapiro crap whining about girls. Ugh, about, ben like, Shapiro, we could go. Okay. Whatever. We're not women. That. Women have that right too. Oh like, yeah, no, no, yeah. <laughs> but you know, they try to be, and they are progressive for a podcast. Yeah. Again, they don't really talk about sports. They're in the lifestyle part of Barstool mm -hmm. and everything, where they're kind of talking about their, 
you know, dating and sex life and everything like right. that. Um, so a very progressive show. But at the same token, like when they all this secret behind the scenes contract war started, like they opened a show using Kesha's song Praying um, to kind of love that song. Yeah, love that song. Love Great it. song. Um, but they're using that to talk about contract negotiations when that song is about a, a woman's struggle through sexual harassment at work that's kept in, her in locked the industry, this, in the industry, yeah, in yeah. the industry that's kept her locked into this terrible situation. Yeah, not and a I good think look. That just encompasses the whole like sometimes barstool, even if they do mean well, are so tone deaf in their production, in their production just, yeah. that it's just like how can you not see the double entendre in that and why that's wrong. Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree. Like you said, that Ketcha song, uh, anybody's listening to that, uh, you know, she came up through, had some big hits that were these very party type songs, and then, you know, kind of was gone for a while, and then came out with that new album, amazing album uh, with Praying on it, and just a lot about her struggles with, again, like you said, the double, like they're mocking almost what the, that song is yeah. about. I mean, that, that song's about a struggle through sexual harassment and everything, and these are girls that went through this whole contract that started this portnoy war with this guy peter nelson aka suit man who this dude like i'm sorry he looks like if one of the things from stonehenge like put on like <laughs> a two sizes too big suit from cold oh yeah i've seen him yeah he's a goofy looking dude but and and he just got ousted from hbo because hbo's decided to de-emphasize their sports Department. They're keeping a couple things. But he but was yeah. trying to pull Call Her Daddy to HBO or to secretly shop it behind Barstool's back. Yeah, and I believe one of the Wonder something. Wondery. Yeah, Wondery. Yeah, kind of their podcast thing. But uh, but I think there was a big argument about, you know, um, rights to the name of the show and the IP and everything. And then Portnoy ended up offering IP and some stuff. And one of the girls took it and one of the girls didn't. So now they're kind of moving in. An even different, an even stronger direction yes. in kind of this raunchy, so interesting Bar way. Barstool had both those girls for 75000 a year for three years. They were making $2,500 per show if they kept a certain no. listener retention. Mm -hmm. They got offered half a million dollars each plus their own intellectual property so when they left Barstool, they could keep their show and everything. Right. And yeah, the one girl turned it down the girl that was dating this HBO executive and kind of having sh things shopped around and the other girl wanted to take it and then it turned into this whole big drama and then you're using this song about sexual <laughs> harassment to make yourself the victim in this thing and it's just like how how do you then go and listen to that show and listen to Barstool when you've got these people arguing over half a million dollars yeah yeah, in yeah, this whole they, back and they, they forth, also, it's like seeing yeah, like a fraternity, like a bad, a poor fraternity drama. Oh, exactly. Well, it, or it's like radio. It's every parent's fear of a fraternity, and that's what this right. whole organization is. Well, and it's and, frightening. And I think also, you know, they try to play the we're just regular guys thing, and then they come out. Not. and they, they say these things that are, you know, the company's gotten big enough where it's like. I can't relate to these guys. I can't relate to $500,000. You know, they're not just bros, but they're, you know, they're allowed to be what money. they want. That's, but the problem is there's someone that feels like they don't need to have any fear or any filter because everything can be under the guise of funny. And when you become one of the top, especially in a day where you can pick your own news, when you become a top, you know, listening, I think Barstool is like third or fourth as far as like, you know, companies that release podcasts as far yeah. as, you know, uh, listenership. So it's like, 
you really have an effect on people and I feel like they still are trying to get away with we're the little, you know, we're the little stepbrother to ESPN that's just kind of doing not, everything. Not, but anymore. now, yeah, but now you, you know, and you it, hear as much about Barstool than you, as you do about, you know, ESPN. And that's the double-edged yeah. sword right there is you go back to, you know, 10 years ago even when Barstool was first starting up and, like, you you liked Barstool because it was, it was sports, it was comedy, and you had a respect for these guys that were building up this company off of. But now... And it was different and it was fun. Yeah, and you yeah. could relate to that because they're talking sports, they're, they're talking, and they're being genuinely funny. Yeah, but now... Now it's like, how do you relate when Dave Portnoy is constantly commenting on these girls' podcasts and coming onto their podcasts, and and they're all arguing over like half a million dollars and this guy in a suit and who's how do you relate to that stuff anymore? Yeah, and you look no. at all these people and you go, well, like honestly, you know, you can have. I mean, there are definitely people because I've seen them online defending Barstool to the end of the day but yeah we all know what those guys stoolies. look like too stoolies, as they're called yeah. oh really you can, they probably are pieces of shit so but you can see them but it's like there are a large amount of people that don't you know don't fit that image and have some issues and maybe like some of the stuff but i feel like all the when you try to put yourself in a hole and you look at it for a lot of like sometimes espn has come out being too liberal which I mean, not they try to avoid that stuff. As and much they're as not. Yeah. I would say we're yeah. a liberal sports talk show. But, but yeah. ESPN's but just a business. Disney runs when that. You, yeah, but when you get so far entrenched on so many of these different things, when, you know, you are shown how you partisan feel about, you know, certain things going on in the world and certain things politically, you really... You don't come back from lose. That. You really lose viewership, and I, you know, there are a lot of people, and there have been some arguments. You know, I saw it especially with, um, you know, some of their side. They have a, a couple soccer guys that are really like under the barstool guys, but kind of do their own thing. And certain supporters groups and teams of soccer clubs are like, no, we don't want anything to do with you. Don't right. talk about us because yeah. we well, don't want to be involved with your company at all. And I think that's one of the things that. You're going to have to realize that if they keep going down this path, that's going to be a lot more people and a lot more groups. All the people and backing them up. I don't know if you guys have looked on Twitter or any of the Facebook, you know, who like defending them. It's always the same dudes. They're in it. Their, their profile picture is them in a truck. They're white. They're middle aged. They got the cool shades. And it's like an or, F-150 or, the or the like a wife beater or college their, bros with, with their, their pop collars or their basketball jerseys and, you know, talk about how they're, you know, getting all that tail or whatever it's fucking well and it goes it's a terrible group of people to to segue into the next part of it is it goes into the whole like do you have and that this is i guess what i'm getting at with this segment is barstool kind of goes under the guise of like especially now if if you're going to be controversial you're going to get viewership you're going to get listeners a shock jock so yeah is is that what podcasts need to do now? Like, did the three of us need to sit here and say some crazy, insane stuff to get viewership, or do we stick? Because you look at, you look at uh, the way Barstool's expanded into all the different stuff they're doing now, and then you look at a company like John Boy Media, mm-hmm. who has definitely whose come up has been amazing to oh, watch. Oh yeah, mad respect. Oh, that guy's great. But, yeah. 
But now he has this whole thing to where he has this whole line of shows now and this whole media company, but it's still all sports. That's it's still all baseball. Right. And you're just – the three of us are sports, podcasts, beer. We don't really stray from that. No. And and if we did, I you know, keep it in sports. But when you're going, like you said, Zach, and given – stock advice and interviewing a president a couple months before the election yeah what are you really yeah it's a vanity project i mean you look at you look at a lot of these different people you know sometimes there are interesting people that you know espn shows or whatever will get on you know maybe a famous you know actor or something and that's cool but when you start to one stray away Mm -hmm. you know you start to lose people because you go this isn't you know if I want to hear about this stuff, I can turn on sports is whatever a show. Whole industry, yeah. And I know, like, yeah, I don't mind when a sports show every once in a while, slow week, they maybe have a segment or two on something just like crazy, like yeah. that's socially. Uh, but I mean, we're getting meta here. Talking yeah, about we're getting this. meta yeah. here. But I'm saying is, you know, it's a um, ultimately people go there to hear sports, and I guess that's always been my big thing with Barstool. They talk about it, but they don't talk about it. Yeah, it's yeah. a guise under what they make, you know, content on, but. You know, I yeah, just we're feel just, like we're we have real opinions company. and talk about the sport. And the other thing is, I think ESPN's shown it. I think even we've shown it in some of our shows. You know, there can be some, you know, disagreements, some some back and forth. I mean, you look at first take and whatnot. Oh, yeah. It's kind of been up and down with, you know, the content with guys coming and going. But there's certainly a way to make things exciting and listenable without having to be, you know having to throw out the shock factor or having to be controversial or having to, you know, right. Screw someone into saying something ridiculous. Like I mean, there's well, other ways to do things. And I think I guess the yeah. way to do things is, you know, John boy, I don't really, you know, aside of the fact that people hate the Yankees and he's a Yankees fan. I think he's hilarious. He's great. Though. But, but even, even then, like he's, he could have stuck just to New York sports yeah, and been great, but he's still branching outside of that while being you a can. New York sports guy and right. staying a sports person. You can do that. And I guess to, to, to finally segue into our next part about saying stuff controversial, you know, now Barstool Sports has Deion Sanders. Primetime uh, yeah. has left NFL Network, and primetime is now with Barstool Sports. I mean... A lot of that, he kind of said afterwards, after he got to Barstool, he's like, now I can just say whatever. You guys don't care about like any of that. I can just say whatever. I can be controversial and no one cares. It, being con- it, it kind of came off as this being controversial is okay here because it's good for the brand. I don't have a problem with anybody speaking their mind when they mean something, but here's my point. They're being controversial just to be controversial. Yeah, just to, There's a, just to be we, we've gone in arguments, and I, I know I probably said things that people would shiver at, I'm sure, just off top. But, I mean, I, it's not planned. I'm not trying. Like It's like these guys want to be. We want people to hate us. We want to say crazy yeah. shit. Well, because, like you said, the statement that I think you have right in front of you, you know, it pretty much set up him and the splash for him going to Barstool Sports. Yeah, I mean, and that, that tweet right there, and this comes from right before the news came out that he wasn't renewing with NFL Network, Deion Sanders tweeted out, quote, all players opting out in all sports, please believe the game will go on without you. This is a business, and don't you ever forget that. There's no one that's bigger than the game itself. Only the ref, umps, and officials are that important that you can't play without them not you hashtag truth unquote coming that's a pretty well while i don't disagree with i i don't but and you can't really like no hashtag truth 
That is the truth. Yeah. But with the all caps in there sometimes and just a very like in your face attitude of that. And then the next day announces not yeah. renewing with NFL Network. And then a couple days later with Barstool Sports, it's just like you can't not draw that line. No. Well, the one problem that I have with this, and I think I've also kind of seen, you know, is with this virus going on, nobody really knows what it does. You know, there have been some reports that the Big Ten had some questions because some of the former players that have tested positive have some sort of heart issue right now. I know Eduardo Rodriguez of the Red Sox had it. And a lot of the, you know, bigger guys in the NFL are opting out because, you know, being really heavy, they say it can affect, you know, your body more after you have the virus. Right. And you look at, you know, a blatant disregard for people's lives, people's well-being, people's situations. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. you've kind of seen that from Dion and you've seen that from the company as a whole, especially like, uh, you know, um, Portnoy has had many uh, <sighs> negative things to say about, uh, you know, Dr. Fauci and what he's doing. And it's just kind of like... Uh, well, this isn't, you know, people opting out isn't good for me, isn't good for my business. Because obviously, you know, it is still barstool sports when there were no sports on and people weren't going to work and everything. It was certainly hurting his brand and whatnot. So Ugh. a lot of the people are, you know. If I couldn't hate him anymore, he went to the universe. <sighs> You are the biggest piece of... Yeah, he went to Michigan. People, this is why you don't send your children to a shit (laughs) second-class university. (laughs) This is what they turn into, the biggest piece of shit on the face of the earth. This guy wouldn't have gotten into Ohio State even if he wanted to. (laughs) Um, No, I agree with everything Greg said. My my thing with Dion, it always cracks me up. You know, the softest guy in NFL history wouldn't touch or hit anybody else is now taking shots at all these dudes. He was a great right fielder. Yeah, (laughs) he was something. Uh... Yeah, first no. ever player to bat in the yeah, Battle of Ohio, yeah, but he struck Ohio. out. No, yeah, yeah, Great struck out. Great right, callback. Uh, <laughs> good callback. But yeah, I mean, it just—I guess to wrap it all up, it's yeah. just like it. I don't want to hate Barstool because Barstool obviously has a huge place in this industry and a huge place in the world. I just want them to get back to like, like I don't want to watch, you know college fraternity drama right. i don't want to listen to that on my way to we work. we already did it we lived through it yeah yeah right <laughs> we yeah, were all in a fraternity yeah, we, yeah, we, we were all in a fraternity together it was a good we time were not like that though but yeah either. we weren't like this raunchy stuff this drama yeah. this arguing over i can't relate to people arguing over half a million dollars over a podcast and then going out and interviewing the president oh yeah, yeah. and saying you know oh we're not going to touch this stuff like where, and the, that's the other thing is some of the stuff that you feel like they should talk out on, like a lot of the, you know, protests and the virus, they go, well, we're, we're a fun company. We're not going to have to talk about that. And then they turn around yeah, and they make exactly. statements about other things. And oh, it's man. like you can't, you can't have it both ways and make those controversial like I, statements. I hate to say stay in your lane because, oh, because, no. because Sometimes. I, want, I want them to be expansive. I want us to expand one day. Uh, the way, like I said, the way John Boy Media is expanding, mm-hmm. like I want all that for everybody. But at the same time, you, you get you got to stay on one lane, I guess. Right. I guess you know, by be one. Be together as a company. Yeah. I think it's important at this point, especially in the podcast game, where people can choose the news that they want, that mm-hmm. you give people the truth and you give people what they want. And we're not giving truth today. We're actually just giving space vibes, <laughs> yeah. West Coast style IPA from Ryan Geist. Exactly. But, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just what, what we're doing. That's just what we are. I mean, we know we set out each and every week to just give this 
like like you would walk into your local brewery, you would get your beer, talk about your beer, and then you'd sit there and talk exactly. sports, argue sports with your buddies and everything. That's all we're trying to That's be. That's it. Yeah. You know, um, we're not we're not reaching for anything. We're no. not trying to say controversial stuff just to be controversial and get the viewership. Like it's no. And and it's you have to wonder when that company is leading this industry. What is their influence going to be on this industry and what people are going to give so it? So far, it's yeah. negative. And it'll be interesting, I guess, just to kind of wrap it up, it'll be interesting to see, you know, once things get back to normal, whenever that might be, where they're going to be, you know. I'm sure there'll be more controversies out in the world because there always are, and I'm sure there'll be more controversies at Barstool. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they don't adapt at some point, what's going to happen to them. So uh, we're reaching the conclusion of the show. Thank you so much again for listening to 30 Rack of Sports. Find us on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 30 Rack of Sports. Uh, just a quick note before we get to our last quick shout-outs and get out of here. Uh, we, there will not be a podcast next week. We will be taking next week off and then coming back in two weeks with a bigger and better podcast. We're starting to get into football season, Oktoberfest season. So, uh, you know, some new beer news, some new sports news, and a whole lot i'm sure to talk and have nice discussions and definitely not argue about with zach so be be on the lookout you we'll know try. in two weeks uh once again you know follow us on our show socials we'll keep you updated you know things are starting to ramp up here in sports and it's going to get exciting and there's going to be a whole lot to talk about uh just to end our show before we get out of here um we're doing our shout out to, as we mentioned uh you know baseball is celebrating the 100-year anniversary of the Negro League. So we want to give our, our shout-outs to, you know, some of our, our favorite Negro League players that maybe a whole lot of people don't know about. So, uh, Zach, who do you have? Uh, it was honestly a tough one. Uh, if anybody hasn't noticed on our show, we do have a, a Satchel Page bobblehead. Satchel is probably my favorite. Um, but I decided to go with uh, the great job, Josh Gibson. And part of that rang into me this week. There's a good article on ESPN. Check it out where kind of with everything going on, there's – at least the one I don't remember who wrote it, but talked about uh, removing Kennesaw Mountain Landis's name off the MVP trophies and putting Josh Gibson's name on there. Um, and I don't think a lot of people know who Josh Gibson is. Um, he is in the Hall of Fame. Um, he did die at 35, which is one of the tragedies of his life. Uh, but a good quote uh, from another Indian great, Larry Doby, uh, who broke the American League color barrier just a few months after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, even stated that he felt that Josh Gibson was the one who should have because he's the greatest black baseball player to ever live. Um, and based on statistics, uh, but still, it's believed that he at least hit 800 career home runs, um, and that is on his Hall of Fame plaque. Um, and even Barry Bonds, when he broke the 756, even mentioned Josh Gibson in a way of basically saying, I never passed him, though. Um, so if you've never heard of Josh Gibson, please read about him. Very interesting life, um, but considered one of the greatest catchers and power hitters of all time, as many called Babe Ruth the white Josh Gibson. Wow. So great story there, Zach. Josh, who do you have for shouting out? Uh, I'm shouting out Sam the Jet Jethro, who I am wearing Digging uh, that today. jersey. Ah. Uh, he played for the Cincinnati and Cleveland Buckeyes back in the 40s, and he also is the first African-American player to play for the Boston Braves. Ah. Um, he is also, when he came up with the Boston Braves, he was uh, 32 years old. And still to this day is the oldest National League Rookie of the Year recipient. Really? Um, yeah. Came in that late, and that's what's such a shame about segregation in baseball. Yeah. You, like Satchel Paige, 
I mean, when he, he was, came with the Indians, he was 42. Right. I mean, like so many of these guys, there's only 35 Negro League players in the Hall of Fame. Travesty. If they were in their primes, there'd be so much more. Oh, but yeah. uh, Jethro, uh, the Jet, nicknamed the Jet. Some people Great said name. he was the quickest human being they'd ever seen. Uh, he played over seven seasons with the Cleveland uh, Buckeyes from 1942 to 1948 when he hit 340 during that span. And he also led the league – or led the Buckeyes to two pennants in 1945 and 1947, and they won the Negro League World Series in 1945 where they swept the Homestead Tell Grays uh, with Josh Gibson and uh, uh, Papa Bear. Uh, yeah, Papa Bear. Yeah. Cool Papa Bell. Cool Papa Bell. Yeah, cool and that's Papa a great, yeah. that's a uh, great you, transition. Cool Papa Bell? Because my shout-out actually goes to James Cool Papa Bell. He's a 1974 Baseball Hall of Famer. Uh, he played... 24 seasons um, and played 21 in the uh, Negro League. So he was in the league for a long time. Uh, He had a 337 career batting average. He was a left-handed pitcher and right-handed hitter. Then uh, transitioned to the outfield because of his hitting prowess and was able to turn himself into a switch hitter. So uh, he was just one of the the best ever switch hit. you know, a guy who hit, like we said, 337, extremely high average and was a super quick guy that made him a really successful center fielder and, you know, uh, just guy on the diamond base dealer and everything else. So um, shout out to him and, you know, shout out to all the famous Negro leaguers, you know, oh, yeah. brought up or not, because there's a whole lot of history there. Some and, great books on the Negro Leagues as yeah. well. Um, and you look at a lot of the guys, you know, that that you know, you know, because baseball is such a, a sport of history. Right. You know about, you know, the guys that played in the 20s and 30s, 40s. You know, you know the Babe Ruths and the, you know, Gehrig's and the DiMaggio's. But you don't really know these guys because, you know, they don't really, they, since they played in a their own league, they don't have any MLB records that you can talk of. They're not something you right. can bring That's up. That's why it's such a shame. And man, there's like, not, like, retired numbers for, you know, it's not like just because you played well with the Homestead like, grades, someone's going to retire your Yeah, number. like when you think of Satch. Like, yeah. man, he was 42. Like, yeah, when he came in with the Indians, he helped lead him to that that pennant and series and everything. Right. But but it's like, man, he was 42. Like, can you think about this I guy's mean, and honestly, I mean, unfortunately, he played a big part, but, I mean, he was a reliever, which in those days was not a big thing. Right. But no, no, I mean, he did play a part in that, but you could just imagine well, and that's where like, he would have It's They're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the creation of the Negro League, and it, it was only in 97 did the MLB actually start giving these guys their pension for their right. service? Like they, there had to be lawsuits and everything. And only in '97 did these guys actually start earning and their major league baseball's pension. And right gone now, by then, I mean, yeah, uh, I right now there's only about uh, the Negro League Baseball uh, Museum, which is out in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. They uh, they estimated that there's really only about a hundred of them left. Uh, still living today really? so it's time we celebrate these guys and give them their due there should be yeah. more than 35 of them in the hall of fame oh yeah. definitely definitely like i, I said numerous books yeah on I think it. some of their stats fun i thing mean to read have to be moved over because it's like you you may say it's not the mlb but it's like the mlb is not today's mlb because not everyone was allowed to play. oh well, i think I mean, the stats you, are equal yeah when my you look opinion. at the guys that yeah. played in this league i mean yeah i'd say the yeah. stats are very much equal yeah so uh you know during this week we just want to say uh you know be on the lookout maybe take some time to to learn about the negro leagues because it's certainly an important part of you know baseball sports definitely ohio sports as josh brought up 
So it's something cool to look at. Um, so once again, thank you so much for listening to this show. Uh, we went a lot of different ways, you know, going meta, talking about the history of baseball, and then, you know, a little bit of puck. But uh, taking a week off. But yeah, when we come we back, we're gonna have that great. We're gonna have a great Oktoberfest, a uh, little little month we do leading into football season. Uh, it'll be great. We just got to keep chugging along. Yep. All right. For Zach on the opinions, for Josh on the ones and twos, I am Greg. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of 30 Rack of Sports. Peace. Peace.